There's a group of guys in um, Spokane, Washington, young guys. They're kind of all in college. They were roommates. And last Father's Day, they put an interesting ad in, the, in Craigslist for a dad. I, I'm going to read it to you. I have a picture, I think. Oh, i got to turn it on. It doesn't work. There we go. All right. Here's what the ad says. Um, we, we need a dad for Father's Day. Uh, this is what you need to do. Grilling burgers and hot dogs. Bring your own grill, though this is subject to change. We'll provide all the meat. Refer to all us guys as big guy, chief, sport, or champ. Talk about dad things like lawn mowing, building your own deck, Jimmy Buffett. Funny anecdotes are highly encouraged. Now, not anybody, not just anybody could apply. Here's, here are the requirements. A minimum of 18 years experience as a father. A minimum of 10 years grilling experience, because you don't want some loser. Uh, an appreciation for a nice day. And we, we can't pay you in money, but we can give you all the food your heart desires. This is a real ad, so do not hesitate to contact us if you're interested. Preference will be given to applicants named Billy, Randy, or Dave. So, it's, it's sadly entertaining, this ad. So there were guys... 20, they were in their 20s. They were, you know, 20 to 25, I believe. I, I read this a couple weeks ago, but 20 to 25. And they, they wanted to have a dad figure around for Father's Day. And they wanted him to grill, and, and uh, this made national news. It was kind of a big deal. The sad thing is, why couldn't any of their dads, <laughs> you know, like, do this for them? You, you're kind of wondering, are all your dads, do they all stink? I mean, are they all horrible? Can't you just get one of the, you know, 25 dads? But... Evidently, they needed somebody. And what's interesting to me is they wanted relationships sort of on their own terms. They, they wanted the dad, but they wanted him to do certain things, certain dad things, that they got to choose what the dad things were. They were going to pick what the dad said. Now, it's interesting to me, as a father, and I've been a father quite a while now, um, I know when my dad, when my girls want me around and when they don't. As a dad, every, every dad kind of senses this, I think, is when, when your kid acts like you're okay to be there or not. Now, pretty much, my girls are, you know, in their 20s now, and so they, they're pretty good with me being around. But when they were, you know, 13 or 14, you kind of knew, mostly because they said, Dad, go away. And uh, that was a subtle hint uh, for them, to me, that it was time to leave. Okay. Now, today we're talking about having a relationship with God. Uh, I mean, n- not so much a surfacy relationship, but something more intimate. H- how can we have a real connection with God? And there's this verse, and it's always kind of troubled me a little bit. It's kind of off-putting, but let's look at it, because we don't want to like skirt around and, and not deal with tough verses. But this one, I, you kind of like the first of it, but then the end of it kind of it goes downhill. Uh, draw near to God, and He will draw near to you. That's the nice part. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Now, the part about this I don't love so much is that the inference is that uh, I'm a sinner. Let let me give you a heads up on this. I am a sinner. You're a sinner. In fact, I want you to do something for me. Now, this is going to take a little, little talent. Don't really move your head, but look to the people beside you and think to yourself, they're sinners. Go ahead, right now. Sinner to the left of me, sinner to the right... They're sinners, okay? 
Stop pointing. Uh, it's got to be subtle. Subtle. Just look with your eyes. Okay, not even your head. The Bible tells us, it's a verse in 1 John, if we claim to be without sin, we're deceiving ourselves. So, when it says cleanse your hands, you sinners, he's talking to us. He was talking to himself. Now, the, the beautiful thing is it says draw near to God and he'll draw near to you. The other thing about this verse sometimes that bothered me was it seemed as if I had to clean up before I could draw near to him. But look at the order. You draw near to God and he'll draw near to you and then you're able to clean up. It doesn't say you have to get your life together. You don't have to have everything in a certain order. You don't have to have uh, everything together in order to draw near to God. It doesn't say that at all. It says draw near to God. And then there's this idea that once we do this, we're going to be able to, to be okay, to, to, to get better. My favorite story in scripture is about the prodigal son, and it was a son who, who insulted his dad, he took his dad's wealth, he went off into a foreign country and squandered it on wild living, and then he came back, and as he comes back, he's on the road a long way off, the father, father's looking for him, and he runs to him, and this is the picture that Jesus wanted you to have, and me to have, of our heavenly father, he, he's... He's not waiting for us to clean up to come home. He will run to us if we just take the first step. He's well, ready, willing, and able. See, see, to draw near to somebody means that you connect with them emotionally. Um, I don't know if you've ever had this experience. I, I know maybe you have. You're in a conversation with somebody, and, and your, your mind drifts, have you ever, like, like right now, I can see some of you, are drifting. Uh, you have a conversation and your mind drifts and you're thinking about something else. And, and has anybody ever said to you, are you listening to me? Uh, any woman ever said that to a husband uh, in this room? Are you, are you listening? How many of you have been on your phones and somebody walked in the room and you didn't even notice because you're not focused on what's going on around you? Well, there's this idea around drawing near to God. And it, it happens in Scripture a lot. Um, Philippians says, the Lord is near. He is ready, willing, and able to engage in a relationship if you're willing, if you make that first step. I don't know if you know this. I mean, I, I'm going to give you some information you might not know, but babies cry a lot. I don't know if you knew that or not. They don't really have any other way of communicating. And when I first became a father, I, we had you know, a baby in the house. This baby would cry. And I didn't always know what the babies wanted. We had, we, have, we had four. We had a lot of babies. And I never could figure out what they wanted. So as a dad, this is what you do. You're, you're a dad. You're there kind of maybe by yourself. The baby cries. You don't know what it is. So you, do, you go through the litany of stuff you know to do. So you pick the baby up. If that doesn't work, you walk with the baby. If that doesn't work, you pat the baby on the back. If that doesn't work, you rock the baby. If that doesn't work, you feed the baby. If that doesn't work, you smell the diaper, which is the creepiest thing ever. Holding a baby's rear end to your nose, and you smell. Weird. Okay. And then you're hoping, you're praying. In fact, even if it smells bad, you may not even go there. You might wait until somebody more qualified, like anybody else, uh, shows up. So you go through this. Now, what's interesting to me is my wife never had to do that. Uh, Miriam always kind of knew. We'd be in another room, and the baby would cry, and she, she would say... Uh, Oh, uh, uh, she's ready to eat. Like, how do you know that? 
Or, or we'd be, you know, holding the baby or whatever, and the baby would start crying. She said, it's time for a nap. That's a nap cry. It's a nap cry. It's a cry. Uh, how do you know that? And then she would say sometimes, oh, she needs her diaper changed by you. Uh, that, that's what she would say. And, and so, I don't know if you know this, but mothers know their babies. It is, it is a wonderful picture of intimacy that a mom just sort of knows. They're, they're like baby whisperers. They, they kind of they know what's going on. And so they have this, this intimacy with their, with their little baby that I don't think dads usually, maybe ever, have. It, it, it is intuitive. It, it's, it's relational. They're, they're just dialed in to what their babies want. I mean, have you been in a room ever where, like you're, you're in it with maybe Thanksgiving, Thanksgiving's coming up, you're, you're in Thanksgiving and, and there's a baby in the room and the baby starts to cry and, and it's like the baby's a hot potato. Have you ever been in that situation? Like, I can't make this baby stop, I'm going to give her to you and you're not very good at it, so we're hoping somebody will have the magic touch and the mom walks in the room and says, oh, just kind of coos and that baby shuts up. It, it is a beautiful picture of how mothers and children have this connection. Now, the, the interesting thing in Scripture for me is that the Bible tells us that God wants to have a relationship with us that's deep, that's, that's meaningful, that, that's not just surfacy. It, it's, it's more than just a friendship. Friendships are great. But there, there's deeper than friendships. Um, th- there are intimate relationships that you can have. And so let's talk about a couple of things today around this. Things to understand about having a, a relationship with God or our relationship with God. Number one is God wants to know you intimately. And when the Bible talks about this, the word they use, the word it uses, the Bible uses is know. Adam knew his wife, Eve. Uh, it's the Hebrew word yada or yada. Uh, It it means um, that uh, there's a connection and it's at a deeper level. Now, it's super interesting to me. It's it's to know and to be known completely. Now, if you know that verse, it was in context... Well, uh, the Holman Bible translates it a little differently. Adam was intimate. He knew his wife, Eve, and she conceived and gave birth to Cain. Now, that's a different level... Of knowing, right? There's a sort of a sacredness to it. And the Hebrew word literally means, that word yada means a mingling of your souls. There is a, an intimate relationship that God reserves for husbands and wives. And he uses that word to talk about how God knows us and we can know God. And that is a, it's an amazing thing, honestly. Because you don't know everybody the way you know your spouse, it is a, a deep, it is an intimate relationship that he's talking about here. Now, I, I, I like to watch people. I love to go to the mall and just sit. Uh, anybody else do that? There's two of us. Okay, great. Three. All right, got three. Um, when you sit at the mall, there are people. There, there's, a, there's genres of folks around. You ever notice that? There's the, you know, there's the... Um, the young bucks. You ever notice them? You know them because there's a cloud of axe cologne that kind of walks with them. And they're trying to prove themselves. And they're, 
you know, roughing it up and all that stuff. So you, you kind of know those guys. There are the, the, the young uh, tweeners, you know, that their mothers evidently think it's okay if they dress like prostitutes. And uh, they're walking through the mall, and you're thinking, bless their hearts, they don't have a very good mother. That's what you think. That's what you think to yourself. And then you've got the, walk, the power walkers, you know, they have a sweatband, and man, they're really getting after it. And then you, you have the genre of couples. Now, you can always tell young in love couples, can't you? Because they're sickening. That, that's how you can tell them. I mean, it's like, get off of her. I mean, you ever, you ever say that to yourself or out loud? Um, and, and they, arm in arm, or he's got his, you know, he's like he's mugging her, and you're ready, you're ready to blow a whistle and call the police. Or the, but those are the guys on the segways. What can they do? Anyway, um, uh, they, they're, they're giggly, and they're chatty, and they're annoying, and, and this is funny, I always try to sit near a, a jewelry store because when they get near the jewelry store, she's kind of edging him that way, you know. He, bro, brother is clueless, he, he doesn't know, what, <laughs> jewelry store, I don't need jewelry, that's what he's thinking, uh, I've already got, I'm already chained up, no, no, uh, it's different than that. She's kind of edging him over and, and, and they sit down, and they giggle, and they, <laughs> it just, it's sick, uh, you know, it's just sick. Then you see older couples. I love to watch older couples. I mean, you know, they've been married. You could tell they've been together for a long time. And they'll walk in the mall, and sometimes they'll hold hands, and sometimes they don't. I had an old guy tell me one time he holds his wife's hand so she wouldn't shop. Uh, so uh, it's more economic than romance. But anyway, um, and they don't really say much. They're just kind of they're hanging out. They're kind of together. They're, they're sort of... They're communicating, they're just not saying anything. And, and they'll, they'll order a meal and they'll sit down and, and they'll, they'll just eat a whole meal and not really talk to each other, but it's okay. They seem to be comfortable. They're comfortable with each other. There's a level of intimacy that they've got that the younger couples just don't seem to have. They can communicate without actually doing all that stuff. They, they just, they're comfortable. There was a mingling of the soul. They kind of like each other. They like to be together. And we understand what it means for a mingling of the soul. We see it. We see that sort of relationship. And in the Old Testament, the word that, that God chose to use when he's talking about a relationship with us is the word yada, which is a mingling of the souls. And, and sometimes God seems so foreign and so different and so other than us that it's a little difficult to understand how can we mingle with his soul. Now, what's interesting to me is God knows us. He, he knows us completely. Um, he, he, he knows all about us. And, and I think about my relationship with my wife, and I mean... I was away for a couple of days, and, and we would talk on the phone. And, and it's interesting to me that I would talk to Miriam before I went to bed, and I would sleep, and I would wake up, and I would still have stuff to talk to her about. I mean, because we had a day ahead of us, and I have a connection with her, and if I don't hear from her, I, 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 need, I need connection. And it bothers me that I have that connection with my wife. That doesn't bother me, but my connection with God isn't always that way. Because I can go days without, and I don't want to be that way. I, I, want, I want it to be closer than that. 
And, and my relationship with Jesus needs to be not just a weekend fling or a time with the boys. It needs to be a connection like I have with my wife. Now, David writes about this in the book of Psalms, the 139th Psalm. We're going to look at that just a little bit today. And he uses the word yada several times in this text. O Lord, you've examined my heart and you know everything about me. There's our word, yada. You know, you yada, everything about me. You know when I sit down or stand up. You know my thoughts, even when I'm far away. You see me when I travel and when I rest at home. You know everything I do. You know what I'm going to say, even before I say it. Oh. And there was a song written about this particular text. Um, I'm, I'm going to show you. Here it is. Yeah, it, it, was, it was inspired by the 139th song. Like David is singing. Sting is creepy. Uh, so, all right, everybody, I got to tell you, look at the back screen. He's still looking at us. Look, see him on the back screen? He's watching you. Uh, I mean, how weird is that? It's not up here. All right, all eyes in front. We have a word for that today. It's called stalking. Uh, seriously, if, if the government sent you a letter and they said, every move you make, every step you take, every word you make, I, I'm watching you, you'd, 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 you'd freak out a little bit. Or, or if your boyfriend wrote you, you're a, little, you're a girl, and if one of my girls gets a letter from a boy that says, you know, every move you make, I'm watching you. We're getting a restraining order, right? I mean, that's because there's a level of intimacy that you only, you reserve for certain people, right? You don't want that with everybody. I don't want the government, big brother, knowing everything about me. I like privacy. I, I don't want everybody to know everything about me. But God knows. He knows us. What, what, what's amazing to me is he knows us and he loves us anyway. Now, there's a common sort of reaction to intimacy, by the way, here's the rest of the verse. You go before me and you follow me. You place your hand of blessing on my head. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. What he's saying is this is cool. Uh, too great for me to understand. God, your, your knowledge of me is amazing and it's awesome. And, and I'm happy that you know these things. But God knowing us that well can be intimidating. It's a little intimidating. God knows everything about me. Look at it. He, he knows my heart. He knows when I sit. He knows when I stand. He knows my thoughts. He knows where I go. He knows when I rest. He knows what I'm doing at home. He knows everything I do. It's a little intimidating. And one of the most common responses to that level of intimacy is, is fear, frankly. I mean, you've heard of this. At a wedding, right before a wedding, one of the Couples will get cold feet. You've heard of this. Because that level of intimacy is incredibly intimidating. I don't know that I want somebody to know me that well. And so we run. We flee. We're afraid that we 
are going to be in that level of intimacy. Because here's what, being that intimate means you're that vulnerable. And vulnerability and intimacy go together. And we're not always comfortable. Because here's what I think we're afraid of a little bit, is if God knows everything I do, then he knows everything I do wrong. He, he knows every step I, misstep I take. He knows every thought I shouldn't have. He knows everything I do that's not good. And that intimidates us a bit because, well, he's God. And in the first week, we talked about a woman who was caught in adultery and, and she was sinful. And yet Jesus' dealing with her was so gentle. I go to stories in Scripture of sinners who come to Jesus, and he's always receptive. And he's always kind. There's a story of Zacchaeus, who was a, a man who wanted to see Jesus, and he climbed into a tree because he was too short to see Jesus as he walked past, and Jesus saw him and said, Zacchaeus, come out of the tree, I want to hang, hang out with you today. He's always receptive to those things. And when we understand, as a, as, a, as a husband, my wife knows my flaws. We've been married 27 years. In 27 years, she's seen a lot of bad stuff. She has experienced a lot of flaws. She has been the victim of some of those. She has reaped the consequences of my bad choices. And yet she still loves me. There's a reason we say when people get to 25th anniversaries or 30th anniversaries that it's amazing. Because when you know somebody intimately and you love them anyway, it is amazing. God loves us. It's not as if he doesn't know our flaws. He knows all about us. And yet somehow he, he chooses to love us anyway. Now, here, here's what's interesting to me. We're in this series called, Are You a Fan or Are You a Follower? Fans are they're kind of cheer, cheerleaders of Jesus. Followers are committed. They're in a relationship. And fans will choose knowledge where followers will choose intimacy. There's a real difference. And that's why, if, you're, if you notice, and none of these things I'm going to mention are bad, but, but sometimes we get really interested in knowing the Bible. I mean, we'll have Bible studies. And we're in the middle of not a fan. It's a Bible study. And when I do sermons, I, fill, I make little outlines so you can fill in the blanks if you want to follow along. Because... It's good to study the Bible, and, and I went to a Christian college, and I went to a Christian seminary, and we, taught, we learned you know, Greek and Hebrew, and I have knowledge, and, and you can go to those schools as well, and you can learn the Bible, and, and you can go to private school when you're in kindergarten, and in grade school, and high school, and you can have Bible classes, or you can have Bible classes anytime, and you can learn, and, and our kids uh, have been in Bible drill, and what's Bible drill about? It's about learning the Bible, and knowing the books of the Bible, and and all those things, look, an intimate understanding of Scripture is amazing, and it's great, and it's helpful, but it's not the end. 
You can know all about the Bible. The Pharisees in Jesus' day knew a ton about the Bible. They, they, were, they were obsessed with the rules of the Bible. The problem is they weren't obsessed with the God of the Bible. They thought the rules were all it takes. And studying Scripture is amazing. And Jesus had a wonderful, amazing, uh, otherworldly understanding of the Bible. And we should strive to know Scripture so we can know the heart of God. That's kind of how we get intimate. But it's not enough. Knowing the Bible isn't enough. Now, the reason fans go to the Bible knowledge is because it's easier. Because intimacy means vulnerability. There's a cool story found in Matthew, Mark, and Luke about a guy, we call him the rich young ruler. Let me show you a couple verses. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him, fell on his knees before, before Jesus and said, Good teacher, what must I do to have inherit eternal life? What must I do? There must be another thing. I need one more, I need another piece of knowledge. If I just knew what to do, there's got to be another rule. So, so look, Jesus points out the rules. First he says, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't give false testimony, don't defraud, honor your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, all these I have kept since I was a boy. I'm, I'm a rules keeper. Dude, I, I do this stuff. I know all of these. I'm really good at this. I, I know it and I do it. And yet I still am not fulfilled. So Jesus continues the conversation. Jesus looked at him and he loved him. And he says, one thing you lack. Go sell everything you've give, uh, you have and give to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. Don't get bogged down here. Jesus is not saying money is bad. This one particular person, and it could be you, but this guy, his focus was on stuff. And Jesus is saying, get anything that takes your focus off of me out of the way. It could be a relationship, it can be an addiction, it could be a hobby, it could be a job. It could be a lot of different things. For this guy, it was money. So Jesus said, you got to get rid of the one thing that's keeping you from following me. Get rid of your stuff and come follow me. Let's have a relationship. And this man's face fell and he went away sad because he had great wealth. Now I don't want you to miss this particular part of the verse. Jesus looked at him and loved him. And Jesus looks at you. And it really doesn't matter what condition you're in. It doesn't matter what addiction you're in. It doesn't matter what relationship you're in. It doesn't matter how you think about him. What level or layer of sin you've got going on. It doesn't matter to him. The same way Jesus looked at this rich young ruler is the same way he looks at me and you. And when he looks at us, he loves us. It is one of the most amazing things. Because when I look at me, I don't think I would love me. The amazing thing about my wife is that she still loves me. And the amazing thing about my Heavenly Father is that he loves me in spite of me. And we could all say it. <laughs> it is amazing that God loves us even, even though we're us. 
when Miriam and I first started dating, and I think I told you the story, we, we didn't date long, we got married, I mean, we, we, we expedited the process, you know, we met in September, started dating in August, got engaged in November, I mean, we were moving this thing along, and I remember the first time she took me home to meet her parents, it's always kind of a, that's a intimidating experience, right, because you're meeting the parents, and and you're hoping that everything goes well. My father-in-law today is in, um, in a home because he has Alzheimer's. I'm not sure I was ever in a room with anybody smarter than him at one time in his life. Spoke six or seven languages. He uh, was a seminary professor, taught Greek. When he was a student in the seminary, as a student, he was grading for the German teacher, and after one semester, the German teacher said, why don't you teach this because you know more about it than I do. He taught the German classes as a student. He is brilliant. His hobby was translating theological German into English. That's freaky weird. I mean, who does that? Okay. His name is Siegfried Schatzman. He was tough as a professor. They, he had a nickname, Schatzi the Nazi. So uh, he was tough. He was tough. And he has a demeanor. He has a presence about him. He's professorial. And I remember going in the house... And I was old enough to know better. But I didn't treat him with respect. It wasn't so much anything other than, I, I don't know what I should have called him, but I, you know, I, I called him Sigman or something stupid like that. This would be, I think about it today, if, if my girls bring some boy in the house and he calls me Joe Mama, I'm going to tell him to get his Joe Keister out the door. You know, uh, I mean, can you imagine the disrespect? I, I expect to be called Sir, Mr. Vest, the illustrious one, something. I mean, I, I want something from that punk, whoever he might be. And, and I didn't show proper respect. Now, after 27 years of marriage, in the process, we've developed a great relationship. And I can call him Siggy, or I can call him Dad today. But I, could, I, I didn't have that right early on. And Miriam pulled me aside. She's so sweet. They didn't do it in front of anybody. But she told me, you need to show him respect. And she was right. I want, to, I want to end with a verse. Because the creator of heaven and earth, who truly deserves respect, has invited us into relationship. So you've not received a spirit that makes you fearful, as like slaves. Instead, you received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. And now you can call him Abba. It means daddy. 
The relationship that God wants with us is one of intimacy, not hiding. See, see, fans, they can know a lot about God, and they can still hide. They can hide their sin, they can hide their stuff. You're really not ever hiding it from God, but you can kind of think you're hiding it. Or at least you can, fool, you can convince yourself that you've hidden it. The level of intimacy God wants with us is one where we get to a place, we develop a relationship, where we can say to him, Abba, Daddy. The invitation is there for you to have that level of relationship. It's, ama- it's just amazing. Are you not, does that not blow your mind? The creator of heaven and earth, the creator of the universe, of all things, who keeps everything going, knows you and wants a relationship with you. It is remarkable, frankly. And it's something for us to consider and to, to ponder and to pray through. If you're like me and you've been following Jesus for a long time, but maybe never gone to a level of intimacy that God so wants for us. Maybe the decision for us is, Lord, I'm going to stop hiding things from you that I know you know anyway. Lord, I mean, a prayer would go something like this. Lord, you know this already. But I'm jealous of that. Or I'm envious. Or this hurts me. I want that. Maybe I don't need to want that. Maybe pride is messing me up. Lord, I'm prideful. You're not telling me anything he doesn't already know. So for us today, the the opportunity is, well, now you know. (laughs) He wants a mingling of the souls. Yeah, he wants to come to the barbecue. He's cool with that. But he also wants to be involved in all of your life. Not just a weekend fling, all of your life. Father, we thank you for this knowledge, which is uh, a bit overwhelming, honestly, that you want an intimate relationship with us. And we pray that we would consider it and that we would stop hiding from you. That we would really know you like you know us. We're thankful that you give us that opportunity and we pray that we might take it. We love you, Lord, and we pray, Father, that you would, that you would do a great work in our hearts. That you continue to draw us unto yourself. Lord, if there's folks here today who need a deeper relationship with you, or maybe a first relationship with you, I pray, God, that they would make that decision today. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.